Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of Happy Hour at the Bar. This episode is brought to you by ToughMed. ToughMed is the first sports brand in natural healthcare, like birds, bees for badasses. ToughMed creates the most effective and safest all-natural health and body care products specifically for athletes who care about their body and don't want harmful chemicals in their products. ToughMed makes organic aloe creams for treating bruises, cuts, scrapes, burns, blisters, sore joints, sore muscles, black eyes, torn hands, and they make the best all-natural athletic soap on the market today. All products are hypoallergenic and don't contain any banned substances, irritants, or stimulants. They're safe enough for babies and strong enough for, strong enough for UFC fighters. All-around great stuff from a company owned by real athletes. You can check them out at toughmed.com. That's T-U-F-M-E-D.com. Use the code HAPPYHOUR for 10% off your order. Also brought to you by No Sweat. Disposable hat and helmet liners. Keeps sweat out of your eyes, reduces fogging and mass, help prevent sweat stains, and decreases risk of acne buildup. Their disposable performance liners were created to help improve performance while maintaining maximum comfort in headwear. Currently, they have a solid traction in the hockey market with every NHL ref, 12 NHL teams, and a handful of men's and women's college teams using their product. They have also found success in NASCAR, Formula One, the PGA Tour, along with several other sport and occupational markets as they continue to expand and grow their reach. Check them out on Instagram at NoSweat and on the line at nosweatco.com. This episode is also brought to you by Regime Nutrition Recover Protein. Regime Nutrition's Recover is the next level in post-workout nutrition. It is, or it's new and cutting-edge ingredients combined with its fast-digesting formula of 2 to 1 ratio of carbs to protein allows for unparalleled recovery over other post-workout supplements. Recover is not just the greatest post-workout of all time. It is also easy on the stomach, great for your on-the-grow n- nutrition throughout your day. Um, we actually uh, have had the benefit of um, trying this out. Uh, we had, um, Tyler sent us the uh, chocolate and peanut butter version, and it is awesome. Um, it's very filling, but not heavy on the stomach like they mentioned. Um, you can check them out, regimenutrition.com or Regime Nutrition on Instagram. This episode is also brought to you by Compax USA. Get stronger, faster, without working harder. From warming up, working out, and cooling down, Compax Electric Muscle Stimulator will help to accelerate your fitness results. With pre-designed programs, you can activate hard-to-reach muscle fibers quicker than your regular training regimen and with less stress on your body. Providing major benefits across all areas of performance, whether you're a newbie or elite. Here's the down and dirty of what complex muscle stimulation can deliver. Increase explosive strength, reduce muscle and joint damage, avoid training fatigue, and faster recovery. Check them out at compaxusa.com or compaxusa on Instagram. We were pretty uh, excited when we found out they were gonna send us a uh, unit, and I tell you what, I've been living by it. Um, I basically am connected to it 100, you know, 24 hours a day, it's kinda crazy, but I've been getting great results, Uh, definitely recovering faster, definitely not feeling as sore as I should be uh, after workouts, which is always a benefit, uh, and being able to work out longer and harder. Episode is also brought to you by VersaLifts. VersaLifts are adjustable heel inserts made to be worn in training shoes to optimize squat movement patterns and are widely used in the fields of strength and conditioning, sports medicine, and functional fitness, aka CrossFit. VersaLifts consists of three layers of one-eighth inch neoprene rubber topped off with a layer of durable, breathable leather. Individual layers can be easily removed to achieve a customized lift height, ranging from one-eighth inch to over three-eighths inch. VersaLifts are durable and designed to last as long as the pair of shoes in which they are used. To add versatility to your favorite training shoes, simply insert VersaLifts above or beneath the insole of where desired. Check them out at vlifts.com and on, and on Instagram at VersaLifts. Uh, these are pretty awesome. Uh, we use these pretty regularly in our gym at CrossFit Diversion. And also, I know Aaron uses these a lot just for freaking walking around and being a little bit taller. So um, check them out. Uh, we stand by them. It's a great product. Uh, if you have any inquiries, please reach out to us. Let us know or find them uh, at vlifts.com or VersaLifts on Instagram. This podcast is also brought to you by Victory Grips. Victory Grips are the result of uh, intensive research of understanding the needs and behaviors of functional fitness athletes of all levels. 
through collaboration with athletes and tested in high volume training and competition, we have come up with a design that is so innovative in its details that we have a patented status with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. The focus of the design is centered on performance, protection, and durability. We have also added the ability for you to customize the grips through color and pattern templates to make them your own. Additionally, we are the only functional fitness grip company that manufactures designs specifically for men and women. Although men and women may have the same size hand dependent on an individual's height, a woman's hand is narrower, therefore they try to ensure the best fit for every individual. Check them out at victorygrips.com or victorygrips on Instagram. This is another product that we stand by 100%. Um, I believe you know 80% of the gym that we're or the, the box that we're currently at uses these. Uh, I know Joe put in a massive order for them a couple months back so that everybody could hop on the bandwagon. I personally will never go back to another li- uh, another grip. Um, since I've switched over to Victory Grips, I have not ripped at all. I'm a larger person too, so I'm about 260 pounds. Uh, and hanging from the bar can definitely, you know, do a number on my hands. So uh, the fact that I haven't had a rip and also uh, it's actually made me a little bit better as far as pull-ups and toes of bar, things like that on the rig itself, uh, it always makes for a better experience when working out. So check them out. This episode of the podcast featured James Fitzgerald. Um, if you're familiar with the CrossFit world, you're definitely going to recognize this name. He was the original winner of the first CrossFit Games in 2007. He's the founder of OPEX, formerly OPT, and the International Center for Fitness. Uh, when not coaching, he's a full-time husband, father, and fitness athlete. His 20-plus years of experience and service as a strength coach, technician, tireless practice on refining energy system work, nutritional and lifestyle balancing techniques, and other training of other coaches has made OPEX a sought-after method of bringing fitness to a higher order. James has found a desire and passion to understanding fitness through assessment, testing, research, programming, and more. He has had many years experience as an athlete from early childhood into adulthood playing top-level soccer, short and long-distance running, to CrossFit where he was crowned the, the fittest on earth winner of the 2007 CrossFit Games. Uh, this was an eye-opening conversation for me, um, just sitting back and listening most of this podcast. Uh, Joe and Aaron were the ones kind of running with this as far as questions go. Uh, they have the most experience when it comes to um, fitness, coaching, things like that. So uh, it was kind of interesting because normally I have a, a pretty big role in a lot of these podcasts, but uh, it was nice to sit back and just kind of listen and, and, and interact when needed. But um, you're definitely going to learn a lot from, from James. Uh, he's a hell of a person. Um, and he's super smart when it comes to learning about, you know, different ways to train and, um, all the experiences he's been through, uh, check out OpEx fitness at opexfit.com. You can check out, um, James Fitzgerald on Instagram at James Fitzgerald and just let us know, uh, what you think as always, uh, shoot over to iTunes and give us a five-star review and let us know if there's anybody else you would like to hear on this podcast. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy. Why don't you, uh, I mean, we know who you are, but why don't you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about your, uh, your background, um, you know, where OPEX came from, originally OPT, all that, and then, um, you know, we'll just kind of dive in. Let's get rolling. Uh, my name is James Fitzgerald. I'm the uh, director and uh, owner, founder of uh, OPEX. Um, for those who are in the fitness uh, game, I guess you could say you probably may have recognized me from a former... Um, uh, moniker of OPT, where uh, uh, that's what I was called on CrossFit.com, or when I started my CrossFit career, and which was also my business. Um, to back up, I was a young young athlete, and uh, I, I created an identification uh, when I was young around uh, athleticism, and then had an injury uh, when I was 18, and discovered that uh, training was a very big aspect of uh, 
um, allowing me to do athleticism and express myself physically. And so I fell in love with the body and trying to figure out how to rehab myself, but also my identity outside of being an athlete uh, back into trying to learn about it. So I did it through kinesiology and uh, did some research and uh, kind of went from the scientist academic route and thrown really quickly into real life setting and recognized there was a, uh, a massive difference between what I had learned uh, through biology and kinesiology into real life practice for uh, fitness and uh, performance. And uh, so I just practiced it. I'm a, a pretty curious individual. Uh, and uh, I was practicing multiple aspects of, uh, of uh, teaching people about fitness and performance and then trying to find that halfway, you know, between what the book said and then what I'm really seeing to be true and uh, trying to develop my own ideas and uh, had some success with that and lots of failures, but lots of success and, and uh, scaled multiple different businesses in, in group fitness and personal training and uh, uh, prehab to um, uh, performance models. And uh, so then a lot of people over time start asking questions, you know, how <clears throat> that success was gained. And so I created an educational system, which I thought would be very effective for coaches to create some professionalism in coaching and kind of principles they would like to have if they wanted to, you know, discover some of the things that I was very grateful in discovering in fitness, um, which brings us to today, um, um, where I currently um, educate coaches around the world, both online and in person about fitness principles. Um, I coach coaches. Um, who who um, coach people online um, in an at mainly an aspect of competing in the sport of fitness, um, and then I coach day to day people who are competitive uh, athletes in uh, in fitness. Um, I was in Canada for up that career from you know uh, ninety four till uh, two thousand eleven, and then moved here uh, two thousand eleven, and uh, loving it. Nice. Oh, yeah. Good enough intro. Yeah, oh, yeah that's uh, no, that's awesome. That spans out to a multitude of questions. Um, so yeah, Great. I mean, most of our listening base is uh, you know functional fitness, weightlifting. Uh, okay. You know, base we're we're uh, here at our home CrossFit affiliate. So uh, most of our base is functional fitness. Um, most of our listeners know exactly who you are, and we're ecstatic for the last month when we said that we were going to have you on, and, and couldn't really believe it. Um, so cool. let's yeah, I want to dive into um, into your training. Uh, I mm -hmm. guess both as an athlete and now as a coach. So, I mean, take us back, you know, 2006, 2007, the CrossFit games, mm -hmm. the original, you know, back in the day, a lot of us who have been doing CrossFit, this will be my 10th year now. Um, mm -hmm. Remember the old days and it's uh, drastically different than it was, you know, 2007 to 2017. I mean, what was yeah. it like competing back then? And then, you know, maybe giving us your experience back then compared to now, like as a coach. Yeah, whew, that's, uh, that's big, right? Um, I think, you know, I think it'd be, it may, may be helpful for people uh, if, you're, if you're really trying to make an impact on your listeners and for education is to understand where, you know, my brain or other people's brains came from. Because um, I, I was in strength conditioning as a coach and I thought I was really fucking good. You know, <laughs> like you learn every year, you think you're real good and then you recognize, oh, you're really not that good. You, uh, <laughs> um, but at, you know, 2004, I was like, you know, I got this shit and I was introduced to CrossFit. Um, and so I think it's important for people to recognize that then 2004, when I started that, I started using it on clients and doing it myself. It really just shook up a lot of trees. Right. And, uh, I was obviously a curious person. So I wasn't, you know, I, I like to say that back then there was like, if there was a hundred strength conditioning coaches around, there was, there was two coaches that took up CrossFit and decided to keep with it. And the other 98 were like, dude, you can't, you're not supposed to be doing power cleans, touch and go and ring dips and running around a building, right? That's blasphemy and strength conditioning. Mm -hmm. So, but I think it's important for people to recognize that, that there was a lot of people that did not take that on. And it's kind of unfortunate because there was a lot of really smart, intellectually um, effective people in strength conditioning at that period of time due to CrossFit's uh, mantra and branding and where they wanted to go. They really lost like the 98 out of a hundred coaches. Um, and so I wanted to preempt by recognizing that, that I got into it with the idea in mind that I thought I knew everything in strength conditioning. And so CrossFit really flipped my ideas in terms of like energy system training and performance and what, but I got into it specifically to compete as an athlete. So I, I did it at first to be like, I want to, I want to look at my, my potential. And here was a way that I could compete every day. You know, so you want to think about that. I went from like, you know, at young athlete and then just fucking around, honestly, with like bodybuilding and and strongman quasi multi event day kind of stuff with the toughest Calgarian. I ran cross country. 
Um, you know, I did it all basically like the gym whores that we were, right. You're just fucking doing everything all the time. Uh, just kind of play with stuff. Right. Yep. Um, and then CrossFit comes out. It's like, you can compete every day. Like you can compete against hundreds and hundreds of people. So I had this idea from 2004 up, you know, that every day I was going to beat everyone on the site. My goal when I woke up was like, I'm, if I don't come first, I will prepare after this workout till tomorrow to beat everyone tomorrow. And that was my mantra for a couple of years. And then they proposed a competition where everyone would come together. So it just made sense that, you know, we bring all these folks together. Um, but I think it's important to recognize that I was just doing it for myself personally, you know, and at the same time I was playing with it with clients, right? Cause I had this idea in terms of a good background in biology and biochemistry and kinesiology. And I was trying to like play with how do you put all these things together to actually improve physical performance? How does this relate to health and fitness and asking all those questions, right? Um, and then in 2007, you know, it brought it, brought it together and this new, you know, uh, this new light of like, wow, you know, this could actually be something where I remember saying to my training partner at the time, Brett Marshall, who was AFT as the moniker back in the day, um, you know, we finished that second day and had pizza and beers that night at a local place. And we were like, dude, this is going to be like in Vegas gladiator style in years <laughs> to come. Like, this is going to be a serious, you know thousands of people watching we could just sense it because of the energy that was although people still you know berated a little bit in terms of just being in a dirt you know yard somewhere um it was there was a lot of energy in it that we knew was going to be something big and so after that it went from like oh me just doing this you know and teaching other people about it or sorry me doing this for me now it was like oh wow i have some gifts here that i could help other people perform in this sport and i felt really inspired by that and I was actually very passionate about it. Um, you could probably sense it if you, you know, they, they caught me in a couple of weaker positions on, on every second counts of how, how much the, you know, the, the followers and how much I had really affected the sport. It was very emotional for me to recognize how much of an impact that I could have on helping other people in it. Um, and so from that day forward, I just dedicated a lot of my time to try to figure out, like, how do you make people better in this new, this new sport? Um, and I think I'll leave it there, but the, the, it's obvious how much it's grown and where it's and where it's gone. And uh, I still believe that we're at like the tenth percentile of what we need to do to investigate long-term development of athletes in the sport and um, and and what it looks like for you know competition purposes and standardizing and professional careers and coaching client you know relationships and things like that. Yeah, I have a question. Um, where? All right, so I have a really, really big basis in biology and stuff. So I've done a lot of studying, got my undergrad. So everything that you read in the textbooks biomechanically says none of this stuff should work as well as it does. Um, mm -hmm. Where was like your aha moment? Because I remember mine and just all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is actually not as bad as everything has told me it is. Because everything mm -hmm. I've read said your joints are going to get beat up. You can't do this many repetitions at once. You're going to exhaust all your energy systems and you're not going to be able to compete basically. And, mm -hmm. and all of that was wrong mm -hmm. for the most part. I mean, what, what was your like aha moment? Yeah. Um, I, I, to be honest, I can't remember one, but I do remember initially with my first, as we all know, we have our own initial experiences with doing, you know, intense activity. Um, and I can remember, what I, what I, and this is just one example, and I think it'll highlight or exemplify, you know, um, kind of the ahas. I can remember learning, you know, that because I did um, research with um, Sale and Dr. David Bame on um, muscle fatigue, mm -hmm. and we produced a couple of studies based upon interpolated twitch technique to determine exactly how much fatigue was, you know, promoted in the muscle with different rep repetition scenarios and different rest periods. Mm -hmm. So in my brain, I was like, no, this is black and white, that when you fatigue a muscle, this is exactly what's happening at the muscle level. And then in CrossFit, I saw, you know, people doing a one RM and then taking a percentage of that and beating other people in a group of like 30, 40 people with a very high percentage close to their one RM. So that was one, one highlight. Where I was like, that, that's not possible. Like they can't mm -hmm. recover from what I know on mechanics and biology. Right. You can't recover that fast to turn the system on. So that was one of the aha moments, but I'm, I'm going to actually add a little component of maybe curiosity for people's brains or to understand really how complex trying to get good at, you know, broad fitness is and try to understand it. I really think you need uh, psycho psychology, um, biochemistry, 
Like, I think you need a, what's called a neo-generalist idea in practices. You need to have this broad understanding of engineering and, you know, so many different things yeah. to truly, no, really to truly understand yeah. like what's going on, because if you don't, and that's why I like Talib's work on anti-fragility and, uh, and chaos theory, because if you understand the principles of it, it'll make sense. And that's it why so many, to everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's just principles. So, um, and, and I know that may sound like an excuse to not like focus in on one thing that's scientific and biomechanics, but it's just too complex. And, uh, Anyway, that's why so many people are going after like HRV now and they're trying to figure out what the top end, you know, CNS determining factor is that dictates what you're what you're discussing, you know, mm -hmm. repetitions and fatigue and all that. It's it's uh, it's complex, but it's also liberating, right, to try to figure out, you know, how to how to fix that or how to help it. Yeah, I remember the first time uh, I had a coach tell me that after a one RM deadlift, like you really, really shouldn't do anything for the rest of the next couple of days. And I remember going out and doing stuff and feeling great. And then I remember I maxed out my clean and jerk and hit a PR and I was like, oh, that guy was full of shit. Like, <laughs> I feel awesome. So then before yeah, I mean, how many examples of that did we have? Right. How many oh, examples man. did we have? And I kept lying to myself over and over again. This is while I was getting my education. I was like, oh, no, I was just that. That was lucky. But that goes into what you're talking about as far as like even the psychology part of willing yourself to do something. It, yeah. A lot of people can't turn that on or off and they don't know how they don't even know where that switch is. And it's yeah. interesting that you say that because some people do things that I'm you know, they pull it out of their ass. You're, there's no reason you should be able to do that. And yet you did. Yeah. And that's, that's where I've created a definition of fitness, which goes, you know, uh, in not in line with a lot of people that my definition of fitness is really someone who's the most resilient and has the lowest perception. Hmm. So if you think about it, if you do not perceive things, then you can adapt faster. And if you can adapt faster without even knowing what you're adapting to, then you have very low perception. So if you have low perception, like you just described, you will become quite fit. Why? Because you have no idea on your limitations or what you're doing. That's awesome. I think that's part of the reason why you see the quickest gains for the people that start CrossFit or start this functional type of fitness in those 12 months. Mm -hmm. You see the quickest yeah, amount of it. Things. Yeah, there's two things at play there. It's the novice effect from a, from a low developed central nervous system. So if someone doesn't have a developed central nervous system and their maximal physical potential, let's just say let's just say maximum physical potential is a hundred points, right? They have five, right? And like, I like to teach it. They haven't even learned how to turn their, and I call it a battery or a light bulb because then really movement and exercise is electricity. Mm -hmm. So if they, they haven't really turned their light bulb on super bright. So there's one effect it's called the novice effect as to why, like you just mentioned, they have that. But I think where you're going is that they all have quote unquote gains and success because they really have no perception in terms of what they're doing, exactly. which is okay, right? And like I've always said, if quote unquote CrossFit in the true old school definition of CrossFit, constantly varied high intensity functional movements, true constant variance, mm -hmm. right? True constant variance and the movements are taught correctly, right? And people are doing things effectively with good movements. I think they can progress safely for a bunch of years. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that you know, a lot of roll the dice happens and movements not always perfect. And there are limitations imposed that after the novice effect, people start creating compensatory patterns now. So what's your thoughts process on, um, like new people? Like I've seen this a lot where they go into a very, very, very highly competitive place, like a highly competitive gym. I see this in weightlifting a lot, um, mm -hmm. where they don't know that a hundred kilograms, for example, should be heavy. Mm -hmm. So they just lift it. And I feel like that's what you were saying. They have very low percent. They don't know that that's not supposed to, to happen. They just yeah. accept it as everyone around me is doing a hundred kilos. So therefore I will do a hundred kilos. Um, yeah. What do you think that has to do with? Because I know you teach a lot of um, lifestyle, I guess it's kind of uh -huh. hard to say, cause it's not really psychology. It's more like um, how to live your life intelligently, I guess. What, what, what do people need for that? Where do they find that? <laughs> That's a great question, man. Um, but as you were asking it, um, I'll just, you know, make people realize just how we kind of came to that. Well, I'm, I'm sure you guys understand that, right? They come in and some folks don't even know what colors mean. Um, and they're just like, Oh, I'll just put a green and a red and I'll do that. And everyone's like, Oh my God, I think he's going to hurt himself. You know? <laughs> And, they, and, they, and then as a coach, also, you have to have the ability to be like, oh, yeah, dude, it's okay. And then he's turning his back to like, oh, fuck, you know, 
<laughs> do that on the right um, so but but just think of the but just think of the construct around everything like that how much limitations do we impose not just physically on people right it's because it's not just a physical limitation it's a it's an ability based upon intent and what you're capable of doing and we just limit ourselves in so many different ways and that's why I saw experiences when I worked in an adaptive physical education scenario and mainly with individuals, not without changes in um, or inefficiencies or dysfunctions in limbs, but mental capacity. And you could see that they have no perception in terms of physical ability and what they can do. And it highlighted exactly how much limitations we impose upon ourselves for what we're capable of. Mm -hmm. So get to your question of how do you, you know, invert that? It's no different than changing behaviors of someone who thinks that a banana is going to make them fat. And I kind of use that as a point of interest because it's a very prevalent one today in terms of carbohydrates or blood sugars or yada, yada for people um, or hating carbs or keto this and yada, yada. And largely, it's going to be affected by how you're perceiving that. So if you perceive it as that, then it is going to have the effect. So in coaching, you have to coach that person to forget what reds and greens are by making them recognize self-awareness and exactly how things feel and just working based upon that. And as soon as they come up and say, just like with the banana example, that they have some perceptions or feelings or emotions that are attached to that exact task, then you just have to rewrite those behaviors. And that's very challenging as a coach. So I would see it as that. If you feel that you know, you're limiting your clients or they feel they're limited by what they, they think that they cannot do, then you have to search for the emotion that's involved in what their perceptions are and you need to change the behavior within that. I hope that makes sense. No, that's great. I mean, that's we, something we, that I battle with constantly with these guys. We just talked about it yeah. with uh, Paul on our yeah. last podcast, Paul Bono. We literally mm -hmm. just covered the same exact topic. That's awesome. Yeah. So he, he would speak to it in the same way, yeah. I'm sure, mm -hmm. just in a different language, but it's really just, just changing those behaviors of perception. Um, and, you know, I thought about this too as, in a, as a scientist. It's like, but uh, it's, it's, um, I'm not calling myself a scientist, but just as a science, the science practice is you would love to research that, but you can't because you could hurt people, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, for example, lactic endurance protocols, we did multiple tests on that. Um, and the stuff that I did at Raintree, uh, which was just over here when I first started, you know, doing assessments on CrossFitters, it was probably illegal in a lab setting, like, cause they didn't know what they were going to be doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is illegal. Like they need to have an idea as to what they're going to be getting into. So I'd make them do this piece of shit for three minutes and be like, they think that's that that's all they need to do and then 12 minutes later i'm like well we're going to try that again because of some bullshit answer but the reason why i was doing it is to get a true testing environment but you can see that the, the example i'm using is that they had no perception so then you're going to get truth in the results right mm -hmm. so back to your point if we wanted to really investigate if that's to be true we'd have to color all the weights a certain color and have newbies come in and just say, what do you think that you could possibly do? And then ask them to just play with shit. And then they could recognize that their limitations. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, That's no. Good. But, but I mean. It sounds like a new class for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we'll it's a new product. Yeah, we'll, yeah just new call product. It, we'll just call it the I don't know class. Yeah. What are you exactly. doing today? We don't know. Yeah, we don't it. know. Sure. I mean, that's remember we, that's how you guys used to write workouts back in the day on your way in. Like, what have oh, we yeah. done in a long time? 2008, uh, we were like, oh, we haven't done sumo deads in a while. Like, yeah, let's we haven't do done wall balls. 135, yeah. Yeah, you let's just do, put let's them do, in. Yeah. It's constantly varied. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's, I mean, I know, um, take us through, take us through the, I guess, the journey of OPEX. You know, originally OPT. Um, I remember actually, you know, meeting you probably five, six years ago up at uh, CrossFit Milford. I did an athlete camp with Jay because I was uh, one of his athletes for about four years. Um, and that was the first time that I really, you know, got to hear your lecture and understand your methodology and said, you know, this is so much different than what I'm used to from a typical, you know, CrossFit methodology. You know, mm -hmm. you're using tempo training. You know, where did where did the tempo training and the lifts come from? You know, I, I, if I remember... I don't want to, you know, I'll let you speak for it. So, so all that kind of stuff, you know, where did, um, you know, what is the journey of OPEX and where you're at now and how does it differ? Yeah. yeah so two things in there, I'll, I'll go back and give an idea as to where that came from is that really just being a practitioner myself. And then over time seeing some, you know, positive practices in that I was now just not coaching people, but I was coaching coaches. And so a lot of those people then had questions on, you know, well, well, what creates success in the in the professionalism of a coach and what you do? 
Cause a lot of people saw me either as an athlete or as a coach. And were like, you know, I'm really inspired by what you're doing. Like, how could I get a feel of that, you know, and touch it. And, uh, and so I, you know, took a lot of time to review that. And from 2009 to 2010 and a half, I guess I could say, I spent a lot of time reviewing, like, what are the principles in terms of what I believe to be a good structure of uh, those, you know, areas that could help a coach. And so I proposed the five modules of business consulting, assessment program design and nourishment, um, and just started teaching them and called it, you know, the coaching certificate program uh, level one, um, and started teaching that in 2000, late 2009, 2010. Um, and that was the evolution from, you know, what was called the OPT CCP to OPEX CCP. Um, the name changed because we came down here and NASM had a, had a personal training program that was being used called OPT. Um, and they did not have it trademarked, but they had right of first usage. So we just didn't want to go through the shitty legalities of, of uh, trying to take OPT as the name. So we just transitioned to optimum, optimum experience as opposed to optimum performance training. Um, and transition the name over. But that's where the teaching realm went from, you know, uh, that and how it was devised and, you know, where it sits today for that, where we have over 2,100 coaches that have gone through it over six years in over 50 plus countries. Um, and we're, we're feeling like we're making an impact now because we have an end game for coaches and where they can practice that in the gym. Um, but really, to your second point, where those things came from, I'm really just standing on the shoulders of giants. So I think that what I'm really... I'm good at, you know, personally is that I'm a super curious person. And so when I look at things, I, I just feel that I have a gift of pulling things off the paper that a lot of people are not seeing. Um, and I've always had that kind of, I guess, knack to look at like scour 20, 30, 40 programs and see all the principles as opposed to being held to the dogma of one of the programs. And so what you see in CCP is really just a collection of everyone's ideas by just saying like, these are just principles and fitness, use them as you wish. Um, and uh, hopefully it'll steer people in the right direction for that. So where does tempo come from? Well, tempo has been used for, you know, 50 years in different methods of training, not just in the bodybuilding S Charles Poliquin style, but um, for slow lifting methods, you can go back and Bill Starr's ideas in terms of slow training and the slow method. And, and you could see that, um, for, for example, the, uh, structural balance stuff that's been around in weightlifting circles forever. You know, they've looked at those kind of things for a long period of time. And, um, I forget the author, but he was, um, a Russian author that I can remember seeing in 1970 something, um, forget his name, but he was even talking about like what, what he saw in like dips and what dips did for, for what he saw and how many dips people could do for what people were jerking. You know, he had his own ideas on that, but I mean, just think about that. It's like that stuff of structural balance has been around forever. And all I do is I just scour it all and say, this is probably where you want those percentages sitting. If you want to look at some insights into where your training would be and how fast and strong you are and where your structural balance could be in your lifting for balance. And then when it gets into sport, obviously sport uh, will create some variances in structural balance, metabolic demand, and things like that. Now, how do your ideas change um, depending on the athlete that you have? So, like, let's say, because I'm just saying from experience, like, I have weightlifting coaches that have told me, I mean, many of them, like, you don't do low and slow. There is mm -hmm. no eccentric motion. You drive. Everything is powerful. And they would 100% mm -hmm. disagree with you. How would yeah. you, or would you at all, change your perception or, or your structure of training for the athlete? Yeah, I think it comes down to, again, the, the answer, though, from those coaches is a dogmatic answer. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a scientific one. And so if you're a scientific one, you would look at biology and mechanics and also measure the nervous system based upon the organism that you're talking about. So if the organism has to propose a task i.e. play the sport. And in the sport, there's aspects of change of direction and the ability to decelerate. And in an assessment process, you see that they can't actually decelerate or do patterns that are necessary. You can't create powerful situations in all their training and think they're going to be prepared for the sport because you've missed the fact that they need motor control and deceleration. How do you do that? You do that through eccentric training. There's no other way to do it. So the eccentrics could be slow or they could be a little faster but there has to be some practice of motor control. So all those proprioceptors, seven to 10 of them at every joint can get used to speed, load, 
warmth, cold, tension, like they have to get prepared for that. And so it has to be individualized for the person. So to say that that person doesn't need that, they've probably been surrounded by a lot of people who are already good and they use that style of training to help them in the sport mm -hmm. because they probably already had a ton of eccentric work done. Um, and this is where, you know, this is like the, the examples I see is like, um, you know, like the, the, the CrossFit endurance model that was proposed years ago, right? Where people, oh, you just got to have good technique and run 200s and you're going to win marathons. And they, <laughs> they had all, I know we laugh at it, but it's the same example you're talking about, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Where yeah, it's absolutely. like, well, you know who all the people that did really good at with CrossFit endurance, those who had ran for fucking 20 years at a hundred miles a week. So if you did quote unquote, a ton of volume, i.e. in your situation, a lot of eccentrics, then if you do true power, it kind of makes sense now because it, it brings together your entire continuum. So if those people did 200s and got better at their marathons, finally, it's because they had built up, you know, like 6 million miles. So if, so if that coach says people don't need to go slow and don't need eccentrics, they're probably only surrounded by people that have already done a shit ton of volume and they have great tendon and muscle strength already. That is a coach. That's a whole socioeconomic thing we could go into, all based on location. All those yeah. boys coming out of Louisiana playing football, lifting them yes. hay bales. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. I'm done. <laughs> I'm, do I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Your mind has been blown. No, that that's was a good. That's yeah. a good question. That's a good question. Uh, um, yeah, I love it because it, to be curious about those things, what we're doing or what all four of us are doing right now is making people be more curious about like why the fuck you're doing what you're doing. I have to ask that question. Yeah, more often. I like um, so I, I have my coaches that I like grew up learning under and I still hold um, very true to a lot of their ideals, especially those that have been tested and proven correct. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone that you can remember back on from like early childhood that you think shaped the way that you see fitness now? Yeah, I had uh, a high school basketball coach that uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, Brian Payne. Brian. Payne. Um, yeah, he was just a uh, a former Cornerbrook High School phenom, and then a national or sorry, a provincial level really really effective uh, a basketball player. And, uh, he knew the game, like, I'd like to say Hoosier. Well, he knew the game well, um, and the basics and principles. And, uh, but he was not a teacher in the school. So he would coach us. He would come part-time out of his job working at the mine and he would come after school, which kind of gives me goosebumps. Cause I, I just remember like how much time this guy would dedicate to us outside of like his own life and doing night shifts. And the mine work was, my dad went through it too. It killed a lot of men there just based upon how much shit they had to go through with the shitty environment and whatnot. But, um, he really impacted me, um, by making me recognize like staying after practice and making me, you know, take my hand from here to here on a finish. Right. Mm -hmm. And making me do like 80 shots in a row while this six foot three, 240 pound gentleman stood in front of me. Um, and then made me like, you know, run faster than everyone up and down the stairs and around the school for conditioning. Why? Because and when I knew I was the most in shape person, but he would say, Hey, Fitzy, you know, pick it up. And I'd be thinking in my head, but I'm beating everyone. But he knew that I wasn't going at the highest effort that I could. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's little things like that of how much the impact someone can make on a, as a coach. And, uh, I had, I was very fortunate to have numerous instances of that in different sporting situations that uh, really impacted me. But Brian Payne would be one. And I think it's because he highlighted the basics and being really good at the basics as the, and then that allows magic to happen in competition settings and sport performance stuff um, and the basics of uh, conditioning really is very effective. So how do you coach effort then? Cause that sounds like what he did to you. He said, that's not fast enough for me. Yeah. That's a great question. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I kind of got stumped when you asked, I was like, I don't, I don't really have a word for how to coach effort based upon language, but what I do do is try to obviously with an assessment to see where people are, I try to get a really good sensitive feel as to how conscious they are in their training. Because I think if they are really aware as to what they're doing, uh, you can really feel like human energy, especially if you're in the same quarters together, you can really feel if people are doing that effort that's proposed or they are getting close to their like uh, maximum potential. 
And I'm not going to say that I have like a secret for that. Cause I'm sure as you guys experienced, it takes time to develop relationships with people to feel that right. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, and I'll give you an example. I've worked with, you know, athletes for two years in a row in person, and then they get to the regionals and I see pieces of them or parts of their, um, behaviors that I was like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> you know? But, but it makes you recognize that it takes a real long while to peel the onion layer back to determine like, what was that real effort? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what kind of effort were they doing? Or was there a good behavior associated with that effort that they were giving in the gym for two years? Probably not. And I didn't sniff it. So I think that determining effort comes with a really good relationship built with, you know, a human relationship built because then you can be authentic because then if they're not being like truly vulnerable and being open, they're never going to give off the fact if they're giving the right amount of effort or not. So I think that's how I sniff it out. How important do you think vulnerability is in an athlete? Yeah, it's, well, I don't know why I'm so careful in saying, but I think it's very, very important. <laughs> Just say <laughs> I was trying to why I'm careful in it, but I, I think it's, I think it's really important. Um, but I also, I also want to, you know, so that's my answer. I think it's very important, but I also want to, <laughs> but I also want to think Please about, elaborate. <laughs> yeah, but I also want to think, I want us to think about, you know, in the cases where you don't want to show, you know, too much vulnerability mm-hmm. because you show your cards maybe a little too early. What about like, I meant more like vulnerability to like, um, your coach or, um, like as a competitor. Cause I feel like a lot of times, like in my competitive experience, um, showing vulnerability to the people around you is sometimes the way to be strongest is to show mm-hmm. when you're weakest. Cause that's, mm-hmm. then they know your weakness. They can push you there in a yep. healthy, loving way. Um, yeah. if you do that in competition though, you are going to get buried every single time. Yeah. So I think we're saying the same thing now. There's just, just the time and the place. So coach mm-hmm. client relationship, I think you want to be really open in that to kind of know what you're both bringing to the table. But, uh, I think I was thinking the same thing that, um, you just don't want to show all your cards in different situations, uh, when it's other areas of trying, you're trying to be vulnerable and you're just letting things go, but letting things go result in you not getting to top, you know, the top. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, for sure. I've experienced that before, especially on a, especially in CrossFit. But uh, I can remember other sports as a young age. Um, becoming, Give me a CrossFit story. Yeah, the uh, becoming, um, you know, you, if you want to review back at the the competition in 2008. So 2007 is when I won the games. In 2008, I was actually in I, what I thought was the best shape ever because um, I'm not really a powerful person. I'm more of a just a generalist with low mechanical fatigue person. So a true like old school CrossFit capacity guy, mm-hmm. um, more absolute strength stuff, not as much snatch and clean and jerk and just simple movements. Um, was really, I was really good in that range. So when the proposed 2008 workouts came up, which were very short and fast, that's not my jam, you know? Um, and so I was the most fit going into those games, but I had a calf injury. Um, and as an example, I, I think it was the third event in that day where I did the hill run and I didn't even know up to that day if I could run because my calf was twinging and giving me an efferent signal that I was pulling my calf, but I, which I actually wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was just an old shit injury from my previous injury as a, as a younger kid. But anyways, when I finished that, I, I was very emotional and I was like, I did this, you know, so I overcame that. So I, I was very vulnerable to show my emotion of that competition but I let my guard down then and I didn't show up on Sunday. So 30 clean and jerks at 155, which was still relatively mechanically challenging and heavy for me going into that. You can even see from the videos that I was just all happy, go lucky and ready just to do the competition. So, but I had really given in, you know, I'd said like last night was my, was my award and I'm just happy to be here. So I was vulnerable in that, but looking at hindsight 2020, I could have finished and said, you know, to myself, keep your lips tight. You're not done yet. Mm-hmm. Also, you can see the the inside play of vulnerability that I could have I could have uh, not have exhibited, um, but that just it is what it is. Um, so, how can you describe? You know, back in the day, 2007, 2008, you didn't have a, or maybe you did have a quote unquote coach. You know, how much of a role did that play compared to these days, where now you're the coach? coaching your athletes, you know, how much of a difference can you see in, in the ability of the athlete? You know, would you have performed better if you had a coach, you know, writing your programming and coaching you on? Yeah, I think at the time, I don't think so, because it just wasn't prevalent to have coaching and like, 
training programs and styles? I think in hindsight, 2020, um, I would say yes for what we know today. Like mm-hmm. if we if we knew like 12 months prior to 2008 after the first games were over that I was the only one that knew what was going to happen and how to prepare. And I think it'd be like, Oh yeah, you know, let's, let's do this effectively. But, um, but I don't think so. And I, I was training on my own up until 2000, uh, or after 2011, 2012, 2000, until I went to the games as a master, asked my brother to coach me. Um, but up until then I was just doing my own thing and, uh, and coaching myself. Did so you notice I think difference? What's that? Did you notice a difference? I mean, obviously your, you know, your ability level might not have been the same, but as far as from a, an accountability aspect or from, a, yeah. you know, to kind of take the brunt of, okay, I have to train four or five hours a day and I also have to program mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to train and then I have to track yeah. my recovery. Was it, was it helpful yeah. to have your brother as a coach compared to before? Yeah. Yeah, it was because, uh, like we'd spoken earlier, you don't create limitations and you get an outside perspective on what I need to do to prepare as opposed to what I think I need to do to mm-hmm. prepare. Um, so accountability was huge. I just wanted to be a true athlete, you know, and show up and do it. Um, and I had a goal that year of making the regionals in the Southwest um, for the second year, because I made it the year before. Um, and then also qualifying through the regionals um, as a master and then going to the games and winning the games. Um, but I just missed qualifying to the South regionals. I did qualify as a master's and I came fourth at the games. I came up short, but uh it was a good experience. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's been a it's been a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, let's uh, let's shift gears. Let's talk about the business side of um, of OPEX yeah. and of of affiliates. I mean, like I said, our our listener base is broad. From you know, we have some OPEX athletes and coaches who have gone through the system that we're friends with, um, the CCP system, and then you know we we own a box here. So you know, what can you what can you tell? you know, the gym owners of these days of, of kind of where fitness is going, you know, how they can achieve success. I, you know, we were on the three, two, one go projects, uh, webinar two weeks ago, I think it was. And we kind of mm-hmm. touched on that a little bit, but can you, can you expand on that? Yeah, man. Um, well, that's a big one. Um, I mean, you've but, created a culture. People are wearing, you know, Sunday red t-shirts from seven, eight yeah. years ago still, you know, it's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, but what you're discussing there, I think, is still the movement that's connected to the inspiration around physical expression as an individual athlete. And when we talk about as a business, it becomes a little different because to um, create scale and long-term fulfillment for the owner and coach in an athletic model is very challenging. Um, And I'm sure you guys may possibly be aware of that, but based upon where fitness is going, you know, the, it's kind of complex, but I'll put it very simple. Um, the question around why people are doing fitness is still going to be questioned. Um, but people are getting older. Communication is getting faster. Um, the market is getting more confused and the, in the technology is still increasing. So with technology and, and, uh, personal measurement getting at its utmost high, um, over the next couple of years, you're going to start seeing people recognizing, that their perspectives and their choice of fitness is practiced, either live long and prosper to perform better, are going to be very quickly understood as being a waste of time or fairly effective. And so a personalized, customized program, whether it still looks like what it does today in fitness offerings, is definitely, I believe, and why I'm still on it, is definitely going to be a very important part of the future. Just simply due to uh, this thing, being much easier to capture, upload, connect information, and much easier to connect to other people around that. So what does the future look like? I think you have to look at predictive models of what technology is going to look like, what education is going to look like, and what our social patterns are going to look like. So in big picture and sociology, um, food is not going to be as effective, and I'll just say as effective, soil depletion, shittier options, da-da-da-da, more people. Uh, N equals this for that. Uh, for education, the, the fitness professional, as I said, is going to be more of a neo-generalist over time. There's not going to be like, you're going to be spitting out people out of kinesiology programs and setting them up for fitness because over years gone by, people are going to recognize all that shit that we're learning. I shouldn't say shit. All the stuff we learned about that in university is not going to apply whatsoever to what's going to be needed and effective to help people within fitness. And then generally in a, in a you know long-term basis, Um, People are getting older and they don't reflect upon, you know, where fitness sits in that. So what are we going to need to have in order to, 
you know, to honor that. I really think that due to, as I said, technology and where things are moving, personal measurement is going to be very big. And then people are going to want to know what to do with that personal measurement. Um, and I think within like five years, you'll wake up and have, you know, your HRV on your fridge, you know, with your calendar and you'll be able to tell a hologram, like what was my A1C this morning? You know, what's my cortisol reading from yesterday? I think you'll have very fast, you know, quick, you know, measurements like that in the future. And if that's the case, people are going to just do anything for fitness and then their personal measurement device or their Alexa, whatever the newest name is going to be, is going to come back after their CrossFit class. And they'd be like, you probably shouldn't have done that, brother. You, <laughs> you just took two years off your life. You know, I should you not. Um, it'll be able to give very quick, you know, as you guys know, in terms of data mining, when there's 6 million data points that go in and out, they can very quickly result in predictive measures. So people are going to know what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, I was going to ask so, you, how much longer do you think until a computer ends up doing our job? Uh well, if you re read Ray Kurzweil's stuff, it's probably around 2029, 2030, um, which is ironically the also similar time. It gets a little weird now, but it's also the similar time where um, Elon Musk believes that we're going to pull a million people off this planet um, and uh, and transition into a different society. And we and I'm not very, I'm I used to be a little withholding in terms of talking about stuff like that, but I think that if I if I hold that too closely, um, I think it will not make you know, the human race and people just like wake the fuck up and realize that um, we have to continue to look at the mesh of technology and the human effect. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the more we learn how to mesh with technology as opposed to mess with it, I think we'll be better off long term. So I don't think it's too far away where um, we'll be taken over from coaching. Um, but we got to remember that the human effect is very tough to duplicate mm -hmm. um, when we talk about love and emotion and um, and behaviors and things like that, that, um, you know, but hey, you know, in 13 years, maybe we'll laugh at this and be like, oh, man, remember back then we were talking about, you know, we had, we had these iPhones, you know, <laughs> now I just think it and it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I have a I have a personal question. Who's been your well, I hope favorite I athlete? Your question on the future of fitness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The technological future. Go. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I have a. I guess it's it's somewhat personal, but and I don't know if you know if you can answer it. Who's yeah. been your favorite athlete to coach? And and you're not allowed to say yourself. Yeah. No. Um. And I never even thought of myself. Joe. What the fuck? <laughs> um, I'm not sure where that would come from. Maybe we need a life coaching session. Joe. <laughs> Yeah, favorite. I, I had a real good time with Danny Nichols. Totally. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just want to say I called that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know because he was. It was a very. It was a. You know, just think of it. You know, two hundred and forty pound guy who was so athletic in a Jeez. sport that's so explosive, and trying to turn him into a fifteen minute mixed modal um, athlete was a was a immense challenge. Um, personally, um, you know trying to keep him compliant, try to make him believe, um, try to, you know, dampen someone I think is a very, is a very challenging proposition for a coach. Um, you know, take someone who's super explosive and, and the way I like to say it is to make every contraction with a 95 bar pound barbell go from like 92% to 61%. Um, and why 61% will, will turn his fatigue further to the curve on the right and making him believe in that. And I think that, you know, by practicing that with Danny, um, I would answer that it was a real great time because it was a big challenge for me to help. I think that's one of my favorite relationships in all of fitness is between you and Danny. Um, just from seeing you guys on grid and stuff like that, I spent a lot of time with grid, um, okay. watching you t who, in my opinion, he's like the antithesis of you as an athlete. He's the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. And watching you guys like kind of come together and watching him come around from like early in his career coming really, really quickly to being very, very good. Um, yeah. It was just really neat to see. Even like his um, his facial expressions changed quite a bit um, from, you know, head hanging down low to like, I'm all right. I'm good. It was just it, uh, great. Great job. Nice job. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I think I, uh, I think there's a picture up there you can see. <laughs> is that Danny? Yeah. Oh my God. 
So I had awesome. a I had one of my clients from Asia uh, paint a picture of oh, us, wow. you know, in a, in a just a just a wonderful uh, uh, coaching, you know, of him a relationship. Just to go on your point, it was special because you know to make that guy, you know, do 10k rows and learn how to be calm, which is what he's doing right there, and I'm just watching over him like this the whole time and just learning, you know, and taking it all in. Um, cause it was really special. So thanks for asking that question. I appreciate yeah. it. Would, I mean, would he be the, the athlete you, you would say that pushed you the most as a coach and helped you evolve? Definitely because there was so much challenge to it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You know, and so many great, and I mean, there's so much humor. There's so many great stories, you know, of, you know, sessions. We just joked about it the other day that, um, you know, especially the model of, you know, aerobic versus strong, right. And how, you know, making someone's mitochondria work more effectively, um, and have them have the most amount of repetitions in at an aerobic state can still allow people to express strength. And science does not believe that, right? Science does not believe it. And I've seen it with him. I don't know how many times where we just joked the other day, a buddy came into town and it was at the old place and he was doing like this elaborate, you know, couple of months of aerobic prep and this thing prior to the regionals in 2013, maybe. And, um, I can remember just, you know, really intense couple of weeks where people were thought like, man, are you trying to kill him kind of idea? But we know it was okay. And his buddy came into town and, oh, it was David. And they went working out, you know, they got the key. And I saw a video posted on YouTube of him doing like, his buddy was like, I bet you you can't do 175 kilo uh, power clean, hang squat clean, double jerk. And, uh, and we were doing like nothing, you know, nothing, nothing close to that. And I saw a YouTube video. I was like, dude, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> you know and he's like, well, he just said I couldn't do it. So I was like, fuck you. And, <laughs> but, it, but those are the, you know, we laugh at that. And that's what, that's what was special about it. But I, I look back, I'm like, how the fuck, how did, is that possible? And it all starts coming to light is like, if you truly balance the CNS and you keep people fresh, then they still have the opportunity to adapt to stress when needed. Um, but when people are not doing aerobic training correctly, they get tired. So there's no way he would have the confidence or the actual physical ability to do something like that. You know, it's mm -hmm. just That's fascinating. Deep. Where do you see, I mean, where do you see the sport of fitness going? You know, we, we joke all the time and it's not even really a joke anymore as far as, you know, a, even a collegiate level, you know, an Arizona state versus Penn state you know, on a yeah. Saturday kind of thing, you know, yep. the CrossFit games, I mean, how much more shit can they possibly make up and throw at them to see who can survive the weekend? Um, you know, yeah. where do you see, I guess we'll kind of, we'll kind of close with that a little bit and then see, yeah. you know, where do you see that, that going? Yeah. Thanks for asking. I, uh, I want to be a part of that. Actually. I feel like it's been a breath of fresh air over the past year and a half, uh, to get involved with Gretchen Kittleberger and to, uh, create governance of the international functional fitness federation and have almost 30 plus now governing bodies around the world in different countries. Um, and that is our goal as a mantra to try to get functional fitness as a representation into Olympics, but it's not just have it in the Olympics. It's more about governance and legitimizing the sport. And then when we can get those things in place, um, I think things will just fall underneath that coaches development, um, long-term athlete development for the sport and then you'll start to get, you know, collegiate level interest and then world interest in terms of how to put those things together. Um, and I think we'll then be able to call it something, you know, which is a sport and, you know, people can grow up training for it and we can have it in a competitive and amateur situation for long term. So um, I'd like to see the sport go in that direction. And I am part of an action plan to make that happen with my involvement at, with IF3. That's awesome. Yeah, that is pretty sweet. That's promising. It's going to take away my uh, hardest push, though, to get weightlifters, which is that you can't win a gold medal in CrossFit. Because <laughs> I'm trying to get well, all the weightlifters I can, bro. <laughs> yeah, or, or to take all the weightlifters you can to try to get them uh, to win at CrossFit. <sighs> That's a, what you meant? Yeah. That's, I meant that the opposite, mean? actually. I'm trying to take CrossFitters <laughs> oh. and put them on the weightlifting platform got for it, a dying got it, got sport. It, yeah. You yeah, guys, you guys have yeah, plenty of functional fitness athletes. Just give me a few good lifters. <laughs> give me Danny yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. be good. I uh, I hear you, man. You could actually probably help him out quite a bit. Um, but I uh, <laughs> I, um, I hear you, man. That's a that's a good challenge. So good luck with that. I'm honest. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Uh, you guys, 
functional fitness is going to take over for weightlifting. It's just going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, I mean, I know you got to run. We have, this has been an awesome hour. I mean, I know we have a ton more questions. I would love to do it again sometime in the future. I hope you enjoyed everything. Um, yeah. You know, everybody, everybody knows about OPEX, but you know, for the people who uh, who are not familiar with it or want to get some more information, uh, where can they uh, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Instagram at uh, jfitsopex and uh, Facebook as well, uh, James Fitzgerald, and opexfit.com is our website where there's really two portals for coaching education or being coached as an athlete. Um, and we're, we've got, we've got a lot of, uh, uh upside and, uh, some, uh, positive potential for the next couple of years. We're really excited with that. So keep, keep in touch with us. And I enjoyed this today. Those are great questions. Um, I think you guys are doing something good by the questions that you're asking. So I'd more than welcome another opportunity to, uh, to chat, to extend on some things. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks a lot. All right, James. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. We'll be, uh, we'll be in touch. We'll let you know when everything's all finished up and, uh, you know, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. Have a good one.